gentlemen, that's Brian Doback. <laughs> Good morning. I'm trying something new. I'm going to stand up here today and, uh, and preach from our makeshift pulpit up here on the stage. But I want to, uh, I want to welcome all of you to uh, Riverside Community Church. My name is Keith Brandt. I'm on staff here at uh, Riverside Community Church, and I'm always blessed when I have an opportunity to come up here and to preach. And the reason why is because God opens up my eyes so much when I have a chance to really dig into the Scripture. I hope that this sermon series is a blessing to you guys, and it has been a blessing to you guys. And I hope that you've seen a theme that we've sort of been walking through in the book of Ephesians. Really, it's broken into two different themes. The first part of the book talks a lot about Paul and Paul's theological argument and saying, this is where you used to be. This is the wrath that you used to live under. And now, as a result of that, how are you called to live your life? What is the application of what you've just heard in the first part of this book? And as you've seen over the last few weeks, we begin to transition into that part of the book, which is the application of what Paul had said earlier. You know, I had an opportunity to, uh, to start reading the Bible in a year again. Anybody ever doing like those Bible reading plans? And I'm, I'm going through and I'm doing what they call a historical Bible reading plan, which means I'm reading the Bible in not necessarily the order that it is in the Bible, in the books of the Bible, but in, in terms of when they happen historically. And I'm going through and I'm reading it. And I got to everybody's favorite book in the Bible, Leviticus. <laughs> and what it is, it talks a lot about rules and regulations that God is giving them. And the I think for me, for the one of the first times in reading this book, what I see is God is calling them to be a holy people. What does it mean to be holy? There's really like two definitions of holiness. It's, one is this righteousness. You look at God as being holy. You've got God's righteousness. And the other is to be set apart, that what God is doing is he's calling his people to be set apart. And specifically in Leviticus, what he does, he's calling the priests, he's calling apart the priests to be the ones to come and to minister in the tabernacle. And it makes me think back to what the author of Hebrews says, when the author of Hebrews says that we are a holy priesthood. You see, what God has done is he's taken people who were previously under his wrath because of their sinfulness, and he's taken them, and he's called them to be set apart. We had the righteousness of Jesus, and now we're called to live life set apart. Not to live apart from the world, but to be set apart. The world should be able to look at you and say, you are different. You know why? Because you are like him. And that's what he's called us to do. So Ezra had an opportunity to preach last week on Ephesians 4. And, uh, and I know that he sort of started off with this caveat saying, it may sound like a list of do's and, and, you know, do this and don't do this. But really what you need to look at is rather, rather than just looking at it as a to-do list, look at it as if I live this life, if I'm living the life of Christ and Christ is living through me, this is what I should be doing and this is what should be flowing from me. And these are the things that I don't do anymore because that was the old self. And we're going to continue on that theme today in particular we're going to look and see what God calls us to do because he calls us to imitate him. Imitate him. As beloved children, imitate him. And we're going to look at what that means today. It is my hope and prayer 
that we can look at this today and see and have a renewed sense of what and who he is calling us to be. And Paul does that through Ephesians 5. So if you have your Bibles, open up. And it will be on the screen, but as Ezra said, the, the scripture is a little bit lengthy. So it may be a little hard to read. So we do have Bibles available. We're going to look at Ephesians 5, 1 through 21. Ephesians 5, 1 through 21. Before we get started, let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, you've got so much to say in your word, Lord, and you've given us your word. Lord, I pray that you would just prepare our hearts, prepare our minds to hear from you, Lord. Help us to see this. Help us to understand your word, Lord, and help us to apply and to live your word today, Father. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, so Ephesians 5. I want to start off because I want to sort of walk through this and sort of hit these points as we go through. So I want to start off with just the first two verses. It says this, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. And he starts off by saying the word therefore. Whenever you see the word therefore, what it means is what I just said, as a result of what I've just said, I'm now making this statement right here. You remember last week what Ezra was going through when he was talking about the to-dos and the, the not-to-dos. And what he was saying is he was going through that list that we saw. But what it did was he ended his scripture on this when he said, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. That we are called to forgive one another. Why? Because God forgave you. As a result of that, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. We've seen this theme before as we are adopted children of his. That we were once under the wrath, but God has saved us from that wrath and has made us adopted children of his. And what he's saying is, be like your father. There's nothing cuter than when you walk and you're in your neighborhood and you see a father mowing the lawn and you see a little kid right behind him mowing the grass too with a little tiny play mower. Because as children, what we do, we imitate our parents. And what he's saying is, as a child of your heavenly father, imitate your father. That's how you're called to live. And I want you to keep that in the back of your mind right now because it's going to set the tone for everything that we look at today. Be like your father. The question is, how do I do that? How can I possibly imitate your father? And that's what he says in verse 2 when he says, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Walk in love. He says, live a life of love. What does that look like? Well, why don't we look to his son, because Jesus gives us the example of what a life looks like when you walk in love. What he says is he gave himself up for us. What we are called to do is to live a life of self-sacrificial love. It's about putting other people before yourself. He said, why? Because that's exactly what Jesus did for us. Jesus gave us the example of how we are called to live that type of life. If we're going to be like our Heavenly Father and we're going to imitate our Heavenly Father, then we're called to be like His Son. And what that means is that we live a life in which we walk in love. Because when you do that, that is a sweet-smelling aroma. 
And that is a reference to the Old Testament when they used to do burnt offerings and, they, and sacrifice the animals to atone for their sin. When they would do that, it would be a sweet-smelling aroma to God. doesn't mean that God can actually smell. And he's smelling that. What it means is it's proper devotion and it's proper worship of him. That they're following and listening to what he has called them to do. So when you put this together, what he's saying is when you, if you want to be like your heavenly father, walk in love. Make it about other people. Self-sacrificial love. Because when you do that, that is proper devotion and that is proper worship of your heavenly father. And that's how we're called to live. To walk in love. What does that look like in your life? How can you take that right there and live that every day? What might that look like with your spouse? What might that look like with your children? What might that look like with other members of the church? How about your job? What if you were to live a life of love and self-sacrificial love? And we don't have to ask how we can do this. We ask the Heavenly Father, help me do this. Help me become more like your son because you've called me right here. And what Paul is saying is you've called me to live that life. Why? Because Jesus said it himself in John 13. A new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. And it was First John that said we love. Why? Because he first loved us. And that's what we're called to do. And in true Paul fashion, he says that this is what you're called to do. This is what you're not called to do. Let's look at verses 3 and 4. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetedness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. And what we do is we make the transition from love to lust. We make the transition to self-indulgence. You know, as I was going through this, I asked myself, why would Paul point these out in particular? Out of all the sins, all the things that we could do to turn away, why would he point out these three in particular? And when you go and you look at it historically, what used to happen in the churches of Ephesus, in this region which is present-day Turkey, there used to be a worship of a Greek goddess named Artemis. It was a fertility goddess. And what they used to do is when they would worship this fertility goddess, they would engage in these sexually immoral acts. And what Paul is saying is, don't even let that be named among you, which is proper among the saints. You have been called out of that life. Don't even let crude joking and foolish talking come out of your mouth. That's not proper among the saints. You are beyond that. You have moved way beyond that. You are dead to that type of lifestyle. The other question is, so how does that compare to what we just saw? Because when we walk in love, it's about who? Others. When we walk in sexual morality and impurity and covetedness, who is it about? And that's why it's the opposite. And that's why he specifically calls those out right there. It's amazing. I was looking at uh, television, and I know it's my fault, right, for doing that. But uh, it, it was, I was looking at television, and there was a show coming on. They were advertising it. I'm telling you, every joke was a sexual joke. It was like a, a, a sitcom. And I was like, this is unbelievable. I mean, the writers must be like little 12-year-old boys sitting around a table 
and I'm sorry if I've offended any 12-year-old boys in here, but it was like little 12-year-old boys sitting around, every joke was sexual. And what I'm thinking is, that's exactly what Paul is talking about. That's not proper among the saints. So you know why? Because it takes the gift. And this is why he says in the next verse, he says, instead of letting filthiness and foolish talk come out of your mouth, what should come out of your mouth instead? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving for what? Thanksgiving for the gift that God has given you. You see, God in sexual intimacy between a man and a woman within marriage, he's given us that gift because it expresses the oneness that a hum the two humans can have together. It expresses the oneness that we see way back in Genesis. And what he's saying is, rather than letting foolish talk come out of your mouth and crude jokes come out of your mouth, what should be coming out of your mouth is a thanksgiving for the wonderful gift that he's blessed us with. That is what should be coming out of our mouth. And that, as saints is proper. That's how we should be called to live. I love this. If anybody's read the book Love Dare, it's by Stephen and Alice Kendrick, and I read this, and it's, and it's so true. It says here, it says, this same oneness is a hallmark of every marriage. In the act of romance, we join our hearts together in expression of love that no other form of communication can match. That's why the marriage bed is to be undefiled. We are not to share this experience with anyone else. Let me just tell all the women in here right now, from a man's standpoint, every day we wake up and we as men are bombarded with images that try to pull us away from this. Whether it's on TV, whether it's the radio, whether it's the newspaper, whether it's magazines, whether it's online, every moment of the day we are hit with this to try to get us to engage in this. So even though Paul's addressing the churches in Ephesus, it really is applicable today in what you see. Now let me tell this to the men out there too, is more and more the marketing for that stuff is now geared toward women also. So this is really a message for all of us to see. As saints, if you've given your life to Christ, that conduct, engaging in it, talking about it, it's not proper among the saints. And we're called not to live that way. What should be coming out of our mouth is thanksgiving. You see, God is allowing us to experience this oneness. You think about the Trinity. You think about the unconditional love that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have for one another. And what happens is in our marriage, this oneness that we have, we begin to experience what it's like to have that type of love for one another. I read this quote. It says, the members of the Trinity, Trinity never relate to each other as objects to be used for their own good. They relate to each other in love, seeking to serve the goodness and the glory of the other. Love is a self-donation. It never uses others as a things or as an end. Oftentimes, we as Christians are accused of being anti-sex. No, we just have a sacred view of sexual intimacy. And when we go against that, we're going against what Paul tells us to do, which is to what? Walk in love. Paul then moves in the scripture. He's now moving from what it is, and he's moving to here is the motivation why. Let's read in verses 5 through 7. He says, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral 
or impure or who is covetedness, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. What he's saying is anybody who participates in these things has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Now, the first question that you may have is, yeah, but what happens if I have a sexually immoral thought? What he's saying is people whose lives are ones in which they are walking in this disobedience. If you have a thought, if a sexual moral thought pops into your head, that's not what he's talking about right here. What he's saying is your life is defined by living that way, that that is not someone who has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And he goes on to say, let no one deceive you with empty words. What he's referring to, and back in his time, there was people who were called Gnostics who believed the spirit and the body were then separate. What you did in the body didn't affect the spirit. So he's addressing them, but really what it means to us today is don't let anybody tell you anything different. Don't let anybody tell you anything different about God when he says that the wrath comes upon those who participate and who engage in a lifestyle of those things. The wrath will come upon them. When somebody says to you, well, God is a God of love, he wouldn't do that. And Paul is saying, yes, he would, <laughs> because that's against who he is. That the wrath does come upon those upon the sons of disobedience. And he says, therefore, you are called out of that. He says, don't participate with them. The first thing, walk in love. Live a life of love that's about self-sacrifice. And it's a selfless love. What does your life show? Do you find yourself engaged in these things? Do you find yourself struggling with these things? Here's the beautiful thing, is that if you go and you confess to the Lord, he'll forgive you. The first part is admitting it, though, saying, Lord, I struggle with this. And like I said, man, we face a battle every single day we wake up. The world is, is meant to get us to fall to these things right here. And what we're really called to do as children, if we really want to imitate our Heavenly Father, we do the first thing which is we walk in love. He then moves and, and, and talks about how we're called to live differently, and he moves to the next one. I'm going to go through verses 8 through 14 now. Verses 8 through 14, it says this. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. You see, what he's making a reference to right there is, remember, you were darkness, you weren't in darkness. You were darkness. You were the very definition of darkness and how you lived your life. And now what he's saying here is not walk in light. He says you are light in the Lord. It's Christ who lives in you. Remember it was Jesus himself who said in John 8, what? He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What he's saying is now, if you've received Jesus as your Savior, 
Jesus Christ now lives inside of you. You don't walk in light. You are light. And what does light do? Light exposes darkness. And it exposes it in two places. My own life. Right? Remember the chart that Ezra threw up there before and it has the cross and it has them going? Into the arrows in two different directions and one of them is Christ and one of them is me. And he says, the more I become uh, Christ-like and my eyes are opened up, the more I really see how far away from Jesus I really am. You know why? Because as, as I get more into the Word and as I begin, my eyes become opened up more and more, I see really how far apart I am because the light is exposing the true darkness that was in my life. And I see really how dark I was. And he's saying, and some of those things, it's even shameful to speak of the things that they do in secret. And that's what happens is light exposes darkness. So it's in our own lives, but it's also in the lives of others. Because if you're walking in this world, remember what we're saying, for men love the darkness. Men love the darkness. When we're walking as light in this world, you begin to expose the darkness in the lives of of others. And that can be very convicting. Right? Some of us have lost friends over that. Some of us have lost people that we used to, to, to hang out with. Because as you become light and more and more like Christ, you begin to expose the darkness around you. And people will have different reactions. They may react positively. And some people will look and react negatively to that because you're exposing their sin. Sometimes not even just by the words that we say, but the life that we live. How many of you who have given your life to Christ when you're somewhere and people curse around you like, oh, I'm sorry, I know that you're, you're a Christian. They begin to be convicted. And that's what he's calling us to do. He's saying, the first thing I want you to do is I want you to walk in love. Because that's exactly what Jesus did. I also want you to walk as light. Because who else walked as light? Christ. That's the second thing I want you to do. I want you to walk as light. Because when you do, you'll begin to expose the darkness in others. See, the final part of this in, in verse 14, what he says is, and when he says, I apologize, verse uh, 13, when he says, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. Anything that is exposed by the light of Christ has now been in the open. And that's why the author of Hebrews says this. He says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. He says, when light, anything that is exposed by the light has now been brought into the open and is now visible. And then he goes on to say after that, for anything that becomes visible is light. Anything that has now been brought out into the open is now light. What he's saying is that Christ has the ability to take anything that has now been brought into the open and now make you and change you into light. That's what he's saying in that scripture right there, is that God can take someone whose life was in darkness and who represented, who was darkness, and he can turn that person into light, not because of the good deeds that you do, because of Jesus himself, who is the light living inside of you.
And he says, that's the second thing I want you to do. I want you to walk that way. And the last part of the scripture, what he's doing when he says, Awake, go sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. He's making a reference back to the book of Isaiah. When it says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. And then the scripture is talking about God shining his light on Israel and awaking from death and sleep. But really, what Paul is saying right there is he's saying this, saying, Arise, you who were dead, and let the light of Christ and let Christ shine on you. That's how we're called to live. Are you living as light? Can people see a difference in you at work, at home? Can they see that? Can they see you as light? Do they notice a difference in you because you're becoming more and more like Christ? And then Paul goes on to give his third and he goes on to give additional guidance, and he says this. This is in verses 15 through 21. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So he gives us the third one, right? The first one we're called to walk in love, right? Because Jesus did that. The second one we're called to walk as light, and now he gives us the third walk is to walk in wisdom. It doesn't mean to walk with your own knowledge. And walk being smart, using godly wisdom is what he's saying right here. Walk is wise and not unwise. And he says, making the best use of time because the days of evil. I'm going to go back to Jesus again because Jesus knew this very importantly. Jesus, if you look in the book of Mark, Jesus was always on the go because he knew that the time was short. And he knew that the days were evil. And what we're called to do is when we walk on a daily basis, don't walk in your own wisdom trying to figure out things on your own. Walk in his wisdom. Walk as wise. And that's what he says to do. He says, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Live a life in which you're constantly trying to understand what the will of the Lord is. And how do we do that? Scripture. In the word, we can see and understand what the will of the Lord is. It's through prayer. It's through fellowship with other believers. Are you fellowshipping with other believers? And as Brian was saying in his video, in him, discipleship, that's a, a great way that we can do that, is that we begin to fellowship with other believers too. But also, the other way that we figure out what God's will is, is we walk in the Spirit. We allow the Spirit to direct our path. You see, and that's why he says, be filled with the Spirit. Don't be filled with wine because the outworkings of wine is debauchery. And he's saying, you've been called out of that. What you're called to do is to walk in the Holy Spirit because when you walk in the Holy Spirit, let me tell you what's going to come out. The first thing is you're going to begin addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So it, it changes the way that we address one another when we're led by the Spirit. But it also changes us because then we make sing and make melody to the Lord with our heart. It changes our relationship with our Heavenly Father. And there's the joy that so many of us want when we're allowed to be led by the Holy Spirit. And the last one he says 
is giving thanks always and everything to God and the Father. God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The other natural outworking of letting the Spirit live in us is that we would just constantly be praising God for everything that he's done for us. When we allow ourselves to be led by the Spirit. And he says lastly, and I love the way he does this because he sort of bookends the Scripture. He says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The way that I can submit to other people and put others before myself because I look at what Jesus does and I said, that's the example that I want to be. and That's the life that he lived. And that's what he's calling me to do. And I want you to remember that line right there, that verse right there. Why? Because as we begin to move forward in the remaining chapters of Ephesians, it's that that defines and changes the way that we deal with our wives, our children, and anybody else that we know in our lives, that we submit to one another. Why? Because Jesus did the same exact thing. Are you imitating God? Are you trying to be like him as his beloved child? Because this is the life that he calls us to do. And I want to leave you with this one last thing. And this is from an author named Jill Caratini. I love this. As children, to imitate our Heavenly Father. Listen to this. He says, she says, what might it mean to you to have access to a father who knows you by name in whose house you are invited to be who you truly are, to live and work and play as God created you, what if there is indeed a father who waits, who longs to gather his children together and take them into his arms? What if this is the communion for which you are made? Some will be transformed by love. Some will be broken by love. Some will refuse to be gathered by love. But God offers a place positioned within the greater offer of adoption, the hope of communion, and the gift of participation in the kingdom. What if this indeed, our father, whose name is hallowed, in whose kingdom we seek, whom we know through the Son and worship in the Spirit as children of the divine. You see, what we're called to do is we are called to imitate our Heavenly Father. Why? Because we are children of His. We are adopted children of His. Walk in love. Don't make it about yourself. Make it about other people's. A self-sacrificial love because Jesus gave that example. Walk as light. Be different. You are not walking in light. You are the light because Christ is living inside of you. And walk as wise because the days are short and the days of evil. That we allow the Holy Spirit to live through us and direct our path every single day. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Because he gave us the greatest example himself. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, first and foremost, just, we just thank you, Lord, so much for what you've done, Lord. You, in Christ, were showing us yourself. And we're called to imitate you, Lord, but you didn't leave us by ourselves to figure out how do we imitate. We look to Jesus as the example of how to imitate you, Father. It was Jesus that said to his disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And we can look at Jesus and know you, Father. And we thank you for that. And we just ask, Lord, I just want to lift up in prayer those who've, who've given their lives to you, Father God, that they would 
respond to this, Lord, and to, make, and to see if their lives are one in which they walk in love and walk as light and walk as wise, Lord. I want to lift up in prayer those who, who may not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior and say the, the Father's invitation is always open. Use this as an opportunity to come to him and receive the gift, which is himself, and to live a life that you've always been called to live, which is to imitate your heavenly Father. It can only be done through Christ and giving your life to Christ. Heavenly Father, we lift these prayers up to you in the name of Jesus.